0: podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have Liz Parrish, the founder and CEO of BioViva Sciences USA. At BioViva, they're committed to extending healthy lifespans using gene therapy. Liz is a humanitarian, entrepreneur, innovator, and very dedicated to this space, and it's a pleasure to have her on the podcast today. Liz, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks, it's great to be here, Saul. I'm I'm really excited about this podcast.
0: Hey, me too, and by the way, thanks so much. I know you just got back from travel, and so really appreciate you carving us into your busy schedule.
1: Oh, sure, well, it's a pleasure, and um, if you can just uh, bear with my uh, slow-moving mind, my jet lag mind. Uh, we'll, have a, <laughs> we'll have a great conversation.
0: <laughs> hey, well, maybe it's a good opportunity for us to actually stay on pace with you because you definitely are a mover and a shaker. So did I miss anything in that intro that maybe you wanted to highlight for the listeners?
1: Oh, no, I think that that's fine. I think that I'm just the woman who wants to genetically engineer you. And I guess you probably want to find out why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We do. So folks, we're going to be chatting about this topic, genetic engineering. And so you're going to find this very, very fascinating. Before we dig into those things, I did want to ask you, Liz, what got you into the medical sector to begin with?
1: Well, you know, from 2011 to 2013, I volunteered for a group that was trying to do education in the area of stem cells, since stem cells had vastly lost their funding in the U.S., due to the Bush administration pulling um, funding because of embryonic stem cells, then suddenly everyone thought that the work of stem cells was embryonic stem cells and didn't realize that most of the work is autologous stem cells, meaning stem cells from your own body. And it gave me a great opportunity to see what was happening in this realm of regenerative medicine. You know, the first real regenerative medicine that we could look at that was having some impact on human bodies in research in universities in the U.S., But also, there were a lot of companies offshore the U.S., medical tourism-type groups, who were claiming to have really good effects. And so we were trying to sort out what would you need to actually build a database to show whether or not the offshore work was was working in humans. But in 2013, right when we were getting this project going, I actually left the project because my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and, mm. and essentially our family became a client of the U.S. healthcare system. And I was actually really disappointed with what I saw. I mean, I was happy with with some things, but I was really unhappy with other things. And that was that things called experimental medicine were not used in humans that were dying. Mm -hmm. So... I asked you know, them if the healthcare workers and doctors at Children's Hospital, if my son could have his pancreas biobanked or if he could get stem cell injections, and they said, that's experimental medicine. We don't do that. You should look around the hospital. Kids here are dying, and your son has a manageable disease, so be happy about that. Well, I just couldn't be happy about that. I couldn't be happy that... Yeah we let people die. When I was reading and research, there was all these fantastic innovations. So I stepped out of uh, the nonprofit and I stepped into business and trying to find cures for kids. I ran into what was headlong, the direction I was going for anyway, which was genetics and genetic cures and started looking at an aging population as a great testing zone for kids who are dying. Uh, let's do this the most humane way. We have over 100,000 people who die every day of aging disease. Diseases. Many of these diseases are similar to what's happening at the cellular level of childhood disease, some of the childhood diseases. So why didn't we embark on the first big engineering program using terminally ill patients to step up and take advantage of a situation of experimental medicine and try to spearhead the future uh, for humanity, including themselves? And so that's kind of how I got started.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a great story and I appreciate you sharing it, Liz. Tough road to be faced with that a lot of Americans and a lot of people across the world are really faced with as well. So it's wonderful that you decided to take on the driver's seat of this. So it's taking you on a journey, and you've you've made some progress. And oh, really excited to jump into some of that progress through our discussion today. What would you say is a hot topic? that you feel needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you and the BioViva team addressing it?
1: Well, I you know again it's uh, genetics and, and gene therapy and I think that it what needs to be on the, the very forefront of everyone's uh, mindset is translating this technology so in the 1970s you know we had some of our biggest advances in looking at, at genetics and, and since then of course we've taken that and we've fine-tuned it into drugs that actually work so if you look at what's going on in gene therapy today one monogenic disease after a time is being uh, knocked off the chart a monogenic disease means there's one faulty gene. And by just inserting a proper copy of that gene, we have healthy functioning people. And for right now, we think that these therapies might be a one treatment for a lifetime. We may find out different in 20 years, but kids with boy in the bubble disease, which is severe combined immune deficiency, uh, SCID, are becoming cured. They, with one treatment, can step out into the world and, and start to enjoy things. Hemophilia, is becoming a disease of the past, as will sickle cell anemia. There are several uh, congenital blindness. These are areas where we now are developing drugs that are one treatment maybe for a lifetime for a patient. So we need to look at the power of that technology and start to look at what's called complex disease. Uh, so aging as a disease, for instance. There's nine or 10 hallmarks of aging that happen as as we age over time. And uh, if we can tackle those, then we won't die of the diseases like Alzheimer's, cancer, and heart disease. That would be fantastic. Each one of those diseases is a trillion dollar sinkhole every year. So it's pretty important that we tackle those. We can also then tackle uh, childhood disease in a very humane way with drugs that we know how they work by testing them in in other subjects. And so I think that the translation of this medicine, now that we know how powerful it is, is the most important step forward at this point.
0: Yeah, that's a a really strong message and a clear pathway forward to get some of these solutions to patients. What would you say an example of what BioViva has done to create better results, better outcomes is?
1: Well, we have now built a platform. So it took us a couple years, uh, sadly. we It was a winding road to realization what we actually needed to do. And what we needed to do is what the company was designed to do three years ago. So what we need to do is analyze patient data, of what happens in patients when they take these therapeutics and actually do it in a wide panel, Uh, not do the traditional uh, regulatory route to approval type of data dynamics where you might hide a bunch of data and only seek for one endpoint. Does it affect this disease? Does it affect this disease? We need to look at multiple mortality risks and we need to look at a a panel of uh, biomarkers and data points and and genetics that actually points to whether these patients are getting healthier and where they're seeing improvements in their body and where they're not. The company would like to, of course, build towards the ultimate combinatorial gene therapy, the multitude of genes that it will take to create a very homeostatic state for a human body where the body just stays in health for a long period of time. And in order to do this, we need to look at a multitude of genes. So what we've done is we've turned BioViva into a data analysis company where we just look at not as endpoints, but we look at a bunch of data points of what happens when patients go offshore and take unregulated or regulated gene therapies. Mm-hmm. So we have a partner company, it's called Integrative Health Systems, and they actually broker deals between patients and medical doctors who basically have no other choice. Maybe they are terminally ill and they've been sent home with no other option. And this gives them an opportunity to take part in studies that will expedite the use of therapeutics. And, and how that's important is this isn't just a money endeavor. Actually, everything is kept at the, the lowest cost possible. This is a, a multi-pronged approach. You might think of it as a triangle. On one hand, the patient. The patient is an important part of the triangle. It's one end of it. It gives them an option to try things when the medical system has given up and said, we don't have anything else for you and you're going to hospice. The second area is the biotech company. We have a lot of really promising biotech companies out there that end up disappearing because they can't become profitable. There's no way to raise the amount of money they need and or they're bought out by big companies who may or may not choose to take their drug to the pivotal point of becoming a therapeutic. And the third area, uh, the last area is investors. If you look at drug discovery, it's actually pretty surprising that anyone (laughs) puts their money and investment into it anymore. It has a 94% failure rate. And to get through one of these regulatory areas could cost over a billion dollars. So when you're looking at an investor who wants to put in maybe a hundred million or half a million dollars, their failure rate is massively uh, designed against them. So if we can actually look at drugs before they hit the clinical trial path, and we can show whether they work or not, and where they work, okay, we could actually give investors the inside scoop of where to invest and what drugs to expedite for what case scenarios. So if I had a drug that looked really promising today, and let's just say I went to the graveyard of where most, most drugs go to die, which is Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and um, I, I ran the drug, I, I you know raised a billion dollars to run the drug in, in patients through a regulatory service, but it failed because it only helped Alzheimer's patients minimally. But what if it regenerated their kidneys? these are the kind of things that we need to know because we're looking at genes now that aren't just maybe uh, supposed in certain disease states, but that are actually running for regeneration in the human body. So that's one of the the shifts in looking at disease is not just saying, oh, this gene is implicated. Well, that's fine that that gene is implicated. There's a lot of genes implicated in disease, but what genes actually drive regeneration? And that's the, the paradigm shift that we're doing is we're looking at genes that prolong the life in animal models, regenerate cells, actually start to recoup the damage or actually maybe reverse the damage that's caused by aging. And so when you start looking at that, you're looking at drugs that have a multi-purpose down the road and maybe will affect a multitude of multiple mortality sort of outcomes.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective, Liz. And as these drugs fail, billions of dollars out the window, you said 93% failure rate. Why not take a look at the periphery of these uh, intended results and see what regenerative uh, traits could be found? Because there's a lot of things that could be potentially used, to your point.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you run a, a drug for one endpoint, your likelihood of failing, even if it's a really good drug, becomes even more. So if we look at, if we shift the paradigm to looking at genes that actually create regeneration rather than maybe just
0: that effect
1: on beta amyloid plaques, or some random downstream effect of a disease, then you know our our likelihood of a success is bigger. But then, if we look at a bigger panel of regeneration over the body, then we start to roll into a bigger amount of success. And so it's just building from one success to another, and um, getting better drugs through the regulatory service, which they still need to go through regulations. We're not trying to say that we shouldn't have regulated drugs. We just patients who are in great need should have access to most anything that shows a benefit.
0: Yeah, no, that's really great. Now, you guys have, uh, you know, you made a shift. You commented earlier that you shifted things over at the company to to tap into the strengths and, and the core of what you guys were dedicated to. Can you share with the listeners a time when you had a setback and what you learned from that setback? I feel like in healthcare, we all have them and we learn most from those setbacks. Can you share one of those?
1: Oh, sure. Well, I think that we've had a, a real winding road. We, we've had a multitude of setbacks. And one of them is what created the paradigm shift that we did, where we decided to look just at the data of patients, rather than try to keep moving forward to talk to government after government and try to figure out how to treat patients ourselves. We're a US company, and we couldn't actually find a, a promising legal route to treat patients ourselves. And so there was a lot of time probably wasted in in discussions and, and trying to find loopholes to help patients, which is seems absolutely absurd to even say that. Yeah became really difficult to do that, so our shift came when we realized that we actually needed partnerships that were not u s companies that could help facilitate patients getting access to the technology and then us you know shifting gears to not uh, directly treating patients but just analyzing the data and of course we hope to analyze the data of a multitude of offshore companies that are doing work basically focusing on our exclusive partners right now. Because when you're in business, you have to look at where's the area of greatest need. I mean, one, you can just pick a company where you can just make a lot of money, but I'm a humanitarian and I go for really high risk, but high outcome projects, You know, projects That's that will affect the whole world. They're a lot harder to get to the end point, but in your really blazing new territory. And so in that blazing new territory, you find that Actually, you have to do some traditional things and then you have to just shut off and stop listening to some of the areas, some of the myths that we live by. And those myths could be the things that people tell you that you can't do. That the certain regulatory uh, hurdles and things like that. If you do things right, I think that you can do a lot of things. And when you do run into a wall, like we did, then you you just have to be ready to pivot. You just can't give up. You've got to be ready to pivot and find your partnerships that can help you achieve what you need to do. And I think that's what we did.
0: I think that's really great and and courageous too, to the point of assumptions. Gosh, you know, one of my favorite uh, <laughs> sayings is assumptions. It's uh, A-S-S, you and me. <laughs> it can make an a- A-S-S out of you and me. And and it's so true, right? If we don't question these, we really won't be able to make those leaps that we're, we're looking to make to improve outcomes.
1: Yeah, we really have to help society get over that. So what is a, a regulated drug, you know? So if you look at the Cochrane report and we, you look at the number to treat and the number of the harm, we actually have a lot of harmful drugs out there that people don't even question that they take. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of open the mindset and open the eyes to people, not scare anybody, but actually show them that there are other ways to develop therapeutics and get them to the regulatory system in an expedited route that will actually help millions of people much faster by using them sooner than some people would think that we should. And it's the whole mindset, it's the whole bioethics debate, which is filled with unethical ideas that a drug should be safe before it's used in humans. And yet we have no safe drugs. We're all part of an experiment. Uh, People die every year taking their drugs as prescribed. And we have to get over the mindset that we should just let people die rather than giving them access to experimental medicine. I mean, it's such folly. It's such folly. And um, they're losing their biggest asset. And we just should not let that happen. And so we have to be less risk
0: adverse. What would you say one of your proudest leadership moments in healthcare has been to date?
1: Oh, I don't really celebrate that much. I don't think we have that much to celebrate. I am a really much into the grinding of work sort of person, but I guess if we had something that- we um, had to I, call out if we had something that we did that I think had leadership, but of course was bastardized in, in much of the media, it was that in 2015 we embarked on the first gene therapy against uh, biological aging and complex disease. That was a big moment for us. I took uh, I myself uh, leading the company as the CEO thought it was most ethical that I would take the combinatorial gene therapy, and it was a telomerase inducer and a myostatin inhibitor. So for the audience, the telomerase inducer increases the length of the telomeres at the ends of the chromosomes, which we think protecting the chromosome is one of our best bet of keeping people healthier longer. So as your cells divide, as you get older, those the telomeres at the ends of the chromosomes get shorter and shorter and they get really damaged. And we think that by keeping them long and keeps the cell youthful and that's been shown in research for over 10 years the other one was a myostatin inhibitor which pumps up your muscle mass so it's you could consider it a performance drug but it's actually a great therapeutic for an aging population to increase their muscle mass and keep them active longer period of time running stairs keeping them from falling and so we embarked on that in 2015 and I actually you know two days ago I'm proud to say I just got another telomere results back and my My telomeres are yet a little bit longer, and that's great.
0: So you took it once?
1: Yeah, you take it once. We saw muscle increase in the muscles that were treated we've seen telomere length increase we've seen a reduction in c-reactive proteins and for the basic listener those are a marker of inflammation and so my mm-hmm. inflammation markers went way down my insulin sensitivity went way down which is great because that's something that gets worse as you age and makes it more likely that you'll get things like type 2 diabetes which we call metabolic disorder so I think it was a time that we really took the lead, and we said we want to be a company that gets behind the drugs that we want to have people take, and we want to prove that they're safe, and we're willing to take them ourselves. And that was great.
0: What sends a strong message.
1: Yeah. So we learned a lot from it. We would had just enough money of investment at the time for to take one therapeutic, and uh, we did do preliminary blood work. We did do preliminary MRIs. We did do preliminary telomere length testing, but we didn't didn't. didn't have the largest panel of biomarkers at the time because we were a very young company and we didn't really have the finances to do it, but we've followed it up. And now we're we're hoping that that patients will want to partake in those so we can actually get a better understanding how they work over a larger group of people.
0: Fascinating. And very interesting to hear that even now, telomeres are a little bit longer and um, muscle production is happening. So Tell us a little bit about an exciting project or focus that you guys are working on today.
1: Well, the focus is is to, to run uh, the data of what happens with patients when they take offshore therapies. But our partners, they're lucky because they're getting to actually design protocols and offer therapeutics uh, to patients who are in need now. And one of the exciting projects that they'll be offering, and and we can't wait to look at the data, it's a low dose gene therapy. So keeping it in the safest parameters as possible, but it creates a cost-effective potential treatment for Alzheimer's. So it's using the telomerase inducer and it is actually a therapy that's under 70,000, which in the the area of gene therapy is a mass, that's a massive deal. That's a really huge. It's just a study and it's trying to get, I think, 10 patients through to do that. They're also looking at uh, bringing in a gene therapy for chronic kidney disease. It also will be about in that price range, which again, uh, compared to gene therapies that are coming through translation through the regulatory services is is a market uh, change and therapeutic cost. They're also offering, of course, the anti-aging gene therapies, but they're pretty cost prohibitive and um, they're similar to the one that I took. So they're they're relatively expensive, but you know, people who take those? All, those are around a million dollars. They're really a lot of gene therapy. And most of the price yeah. actually that this company offers to patient is just running the gene therapy. So you can imagine if you're running a gene therapy for humans through a US manufacturer, that's going to be Almost, if you're, you know, you're looking at uh, high doses of gene therapy. Almost all of that is the cost of building the gene therapy. Mm-hmm. Then our doctors take a little bit amount of money. We take a little bit to run the data, just to stay in business. And you know, the idea is to find the therapies that work. And, you know, just so people get better about this for the future, the more patients that you run through, the cheaper the cost. Mm-hmm. So like if, if you say, well, how would we treat the whole world if each therapy costs, you know, a million dollars just to make it for a large, large dose therapy? When you make it for a thousand people, it doesn't cost that much. And then, you know, the costs are in the tens of thousand. And if you made it for a million people, it's going to even go down from there. And as manufacturing uh, capacity of these manufacturers actually boosts up, eventually it becomes as Cheap as an immunization, and that's what we're hoping for the world is low-cost uh, therapeutics that have a huge impact on health.
0: Well, I'm of the belief that much like anything else, whether it be uh, goods and services, uh, healthcare is also a good and a service. And so, when looking at options, I mean, you know, I had I had a friend, Liz, that actually recently, about a year ago, passed away. He had cancer, couldn't find a way. To treat it, went to the best medical care he could get. Uh, He even started considering out of country solutions. And I think when it comes to our health, I think we have to keep an open mind and consider out of the box and out of the country solutions. So, Liz, really appreciate you sort of setting the stage for that. With these gene therapies.
1: Oh yeah, well, thank you. And you know, we have to really come to the mindset that this is pioneering new technology. So now, today, we yeah. help people who will spend a hundred, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars to get an opportunity to fly up into space. Well, you know, being part of gene therapy and pioneering new technology, it's an opportunity. It's more than just taking a therapy to try to treat a disease. You're pioneering the future of technology. You're actually making a better world for other people and you're having an experience. And Right now, uh, the outcomes for how many people have taken gene therapy, now we can't say it's 100% safe, but it's, it's looking actually really good. So we're hoping that that people will want to be a part of pioneering that technology. And unfortunately, and, and it does cost to participate in it, but what an experience to be yep. part of.
0: And like you said, especially if you're on the dark side of it, terminal illnesses where you don't have any options and you're willing to consider more things. The pioneering thing is a great analogy, Liz. I've got this picture of the solar system on my wall here, and I'm just mm-hmm. looking at it. I'm like, yeah, you know, it is perspective. <laughs> it is perspective. perspective.
1: I love looking, <laughs> looking up. I try to look up every night and give thanks for <laughs> what this universe has brought. And I just, it's so humbling. And uh, we're lucky to be part of it. And so we really I should. Think. Create big human value. You know, what what are we going to bring to other people? I don't think it's enough to sit here and make carbon dioxide. I, I think that we should be part of a, a much bigger movement.
0: <laughs> that's just, that's I totally a agree. To
1: participate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good way to put it. Just, uh, you could do a little bit more than make carbon dioxide, all right, people? <laughs> I, um, <laughs> get into the end here, Liz. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful. In the business of medicine, gene therapy—the ABCs of Liz Parrish. So, I've got four questions for you, lightning round style, followed oh, by—yeah, followed by your book recommendation for the listeners. You ready? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
1: Well, I would say faster translation to the right patients. So, you know, we need to work on precision-based medicine and disease typing for patient outcomes and tackling these things genomically whenever we can.
0: What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
1: Risk aversion. I think that that is uh, the easiest thing to do. I think that probably that might come into one of my favorite books, Dune, Fear is the Mind Killer, mm-hmm. and it will absolutely limit us as a, as a human species.
0: Love that. How do you stay relevant despite constant change?
1: Well, I think we're on the tip of of change, but I think keeping on top of research and digging for old research that showed relevance and making sure that that research doesn't go unfound.
0: What's an area of focus that should drive everything in a healthcare organization?
1: Well, I mean, healthy people. (laughs) So what should drive everything isn't money. If you're if you're meeting a need and you're creating healthier people, money will come. So I think that making people healthy longer, focusing on aging and disease and the catastrophes that they cause around us and, and actually trying to minimize that is probably the best thing.
0: It's a great one. Well, you mentioned The Dune. Any other books you'd like to recommend or is that the one you're sticking with?
1: I think that picking your favorite book is like picking your favorite color. And I think I might be too old to do that. So right now, <laughs> it's going through my head all of these things because you've you've said that now twice. And and I've been like, oh my gosh. And so I think that um, some of my favorite books recently, so my all-time favorites for adventure is Lord of the Rings and Doom. Mm-hmm, I think nice. they're fantastic. And for sci-fi, it's definitely anything Philip K. did. Love but it. as far as uh, relevant into the areas that we're working in, and books that are good for anyone, they're not too in-depth, I would say in the, last two years, probably Homo sapiens and Homo deus by Yuval Noah Harari. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. And um, we're good. The Red Queen, which is Sex and Evolution of Human Nature by Matt Ridley uh, was really good. The Sports Gene, don't pass this one up. It's the Sports Gene Inside the Science of Extraordinary Athletic Performance. And I'm trying to remember these off the top of my head. So if I get them wrong, the, uh, and that's by I think it's Epstein. That was really good. It shows you how certain people have an advantage, and if we all want to have that advantage, we need to look at gene therapy. And then there was one called The Gene by Siddhartha, can't remember his last name, started with an M. Really fantastic. Recently, I read What is Life Uh, by. Pross, I think is the name of the author. And it is a really neat look of how we define what life is and, and it might surprise you. Vitamania was a from a woman named Katherine Price. And it shows you how we look at food, how we look at the engineering of vitamins in our food and how we might actually be hurting people in other countries because we have overnutrition, we may be overusing these vitamins, which comes at a detriment, and we might be limiting other cultures from getting their hands on them just because we're getting a, a negative output from the overuse of them here. So how our mindset affects people at a long distance. And then for the academics, anyone going into science, how to read a paper, it's from a woman named Trisha, it's green something, green home, <laughs> green I can't remember. Yeah. But How to read a paper, it's like the basics of evidence based medicine, and it will help even an average person get through how to read a paper, a research paper, uh, what things that you really should look at to make sure that what you're reading is accurate so that you have a better understanding of how successful it actually was. And I would say that that's really, really important in the day and age of where, you know, cancer has been cured a hundred times in mice, but never, you know, not once in humans.
0: Fascinating. There you have it, folks, a list from Liz Parrish. I could probably <laughs> go record.
1: on and on and on and on, but I, 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 I don't.
0: like to read. I, I,
1: I love <laughs> to read and more so I love to listen to books because unfortunately, do, my actually. eyesight is not as good as it used to be. And now I have to wear a trifocal. So yeah, my gene therapy did not fix my eyes. There are a lot of gene therapies that are coming through the pipeline for uh, congenital blindness, macular degeneration, both wet and dry and things like that. And I'm really looking forward to those because we will need those for the future of living long lives. But right now I've gotten to the point where I really love to listen to a book uh, rather than wear my trifocals and try to figure out what part of the glasses to look through to read the book.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you too. And uh, audiobooks are definitely my favorite first choice, and then uh, print if it's not available. There's also a service called Blinkist. I've mentioned it before. Before really fully committing to a book, Blinkist sort of gives you their their blinks. They call them blinks, little chap, mini chapters on what it's about to give you the gist. So good a good little resource there, Liz. This has been a blast, folks. By the way, if you want to find the list of books that Liz shared with us, as well as a transcript of our discussion today. Day, go to outcomesrocket.health slash bioviva. You'll find everything there and uh, an opportunity to replay the episode there. You could do that on iTunes, Google, any podcast platform, really. Liz, this has been a blast. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought before we conclude, and then uh, the best place where the listeners could get in touch and reach out with you.
1: Well, I thought, oh, well, I would would just like the listeners to be really excited about the future. I'd like them to be really open-minded about the future. I'd like them to sort of lay down their, their fears and concepts of what the future might look like and, and realize that you know together we've proven over and over again that humans can create technology and really use it for the good of the world and that we can together uh, create that. And they should be excited about maybe the future of their own human body and think about the things that the assets and the benefits and the performance that they would like to have their body have in the future, whether it be smarter, stronger, and faster. And together we can actually actually make that a reality.
0: Outstanding. And what would you say the best place for the listeners can connect with you or your company is?
1: Well, probably the best way is to go through the website bioviva-science.com and there's a place to contact us there. Uh, You'll most likely get a hold of my assistant, Katerina, and you can chat with her and relay any messages through or ask any questions that you have. And I'm not very good at social media, quite honestly. And I'm sure I have a lot of opinions, but I've never been a huge proponent to think that anyone's opinion is <laughs> probably that important. But so I, I'm sort of hit and miss on social media. I'll come out and I'll put a few updates out, but you can always look for BioViva on uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter. And then I have a personal account, Liz Parrish on on Facebook. And I I think I have an Instagram and a Twitter, but again, I'm not at them very much. But uh, if you bear with me, I do try to get to the messages.
0: So folks, if you want to get in touch with Liz, just go through the website. That'd be the best way. And and we'll leave that link on the show notes. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash bioviva. Liz, this has been a blast. Uh, You really have taken us down a path that is uh, very forward looking and important to consider as we look to improve outcomes in healthcare. So just want to give you a huge thank you for spending time with us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Saul. It's, a, it's been really fantastic. And any option and possibility that we have to get information out, uh, we just really appreciate it. It's, it's really the most important thing that you can do is, is help a message spread.